that, that, that gets you going. So uh, um, we're wrapping up the series on Mark this week, and uh, we've been talking about how God has marked us. Jesus has marked us to leave a mark on this world. So he marked us with forgiveness so that we would forgive. He marked us with love so that we would love others. And today we're going to look at how Jesus lived and served others in his life. And so we've been marked by his service so that we can serve others as well. Uh, of course, next week, something is happening on Sunday. It's called Easter. Um, and so we're really excited about that. Actually, this Saturday night, we're going to have a, a Easter service, uh, Easter's Eve at 6 o'clock, and then Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, an early service. I know some of you want to do a sunrise. There's like 20 of you, maybe, who would be here at 6 but we're not doing a six, but 8, 8 a.m. And those first two services, Saturday night and early Sunday morning, we're just going to have kids ministry. We're just going to have nursery and pre-K. Um, but our normal kids ministry will be 9.30 and 11 o'clock. So um, for, for some of you, you know, who came at 11 o'clock, just come at the same time tomorrow. I mean, next Sunday, and you'll be here right on time. So um, but anyway, it's, it's uh, good to be looking forward to Easter. The Sunday before Easter is called Palm Sunday. And it's the Sunday uh, where Jesus rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem and he was celebrated and they were waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna and, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was awesome. Um, but then five days later, four or five days later, he was crucified. And so there's a lot of... Of the, of the New Testament actually deals with those five days. The, the epistle of John um, actually has uh, one third of all the chapters in John talk about those five days between when Jesus rides in and when Jesus is crucified. And so today we're not going to look at um, the waving of the palm branches and the celebrations of the crowd. We're going to fast forward a little bit to the night before he was crucified, uh, where Jesus is meeting with his disciples for the Passover meal. And the Passover meal was a very important meal. It was like Christmas and Easter put together uh, for Jews, the most important meal of the year. And you would invite your closest friends, your closest relatives to, to be a part of that meal together. And so these disciples uh, were, were honored to, to have this meal with Jesus. What would you do though, if you knew it was your last meal? If you knew this is the last time I'm going to see these people before I die, and, and this is the, the last time, the last opportunity I have to talk to them, to say something, to do something, what would you say and what would you do if you were with your friends for the last time? And then to take it a little bit beyond that, what would you do if you knew they weren't really your friends? They weren't into, you loved them, but they didn't really love you back. They weren't into you like you were into them. Because that's where Jesus is at. This is not only his last meal, but it's not necessarily with guys that love him. You have Judas who hates his guts and is going to betray him shortly. You have 
the other disciples who say they, they, they want to follow Jesus, but when, when it gets hard, they run away and you get the impression that maybe they just wanted a position in the new kingdom. Maybe they just wanted Jesus for what Jesus could do for them. Maybe they just appreciated being in the limelight with Jesus because when he said to them, can you pray with me for an hour? And, and, and he was so vexed and taxed. He was sweating drops of blood and they couldn't even stay awake with him. Doesn't sound like good friends. And Peter then denies Jesus, not just denied that they were friends, but denied he ever even knew them. And, and then one of the disciples as well, when the guards came and when they came to arrest him, they grabbed him, his coat or something of his clothing, and it said he ran away naked. He was so scared. And then even after the resurrection, Thomas says, there is no way Jesus is raised from the dead. I know he talked about doing that. I know he said he would do that, but I don't believe a word of what Jesus said about that. I don't believe a word of what you say either. He didn't rise from the dead. This is the group Jesus is having his last meal with. What would you say to a group like that? What would you do with a group like that? And here's, here's the question. What if someone found out the truth about you? Right? Your deepest darkest secret. How, how do people respond when that happens? And, and most of us here, we have some young people who hopefully you don't have a deep, dark secret yet. But, but most of us here, there are things in our past that we are ashamed of and that if I were to put it up on the screen, you doing that, you saying that, we would be, you would be mortified because we don't know. And what happens when someone finds out? Well, there's three responses that people often make when they find out the truth about you. Number one, they attack you. Maybe verbally, maybe physically, they just cut you down and, and just, I can't believe you did. You're such a hypocrite. You are, you are nothing. You are, you, I always knew you'd be a failure. They, and they just attack some people, they don't attack. They just cut you off. You're dead to me. They're shunning. Then you're not going to be inviting over to, over to Christmas anymore. And if mom invites you to Christmas, he's not going to be there. And they just cut you out of their life. And they're like, huh, fool me once, shame on you. You will never fool me again. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Best case scenario, they back away, right? Maybe, maybe it's not completely cut off. Maybe they don't, they don't attack you verbally or whatever, but they're just like, you know what? I'm not going to trust you again. And, and there's some distance and we're not going on vacation again together. Are you kidding me? Like we, we can't. And, and, and there's a barrier and a wall that's put up because they've figured out who you really are. And they know. How did Jesus respond? Because he knew who his disciples really were. He knew Judas had been stealing and robbing from them and from the good people who were helping support them. He knew Peter was all talk and was going to just deny him. And, and, and he, he knew. And as we see how Jesus responded, we see how we need to respond 
to others when we find out the truth about them. It says it was just before the Passover festival, this important meal, and Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were with him in the world, he loved them to the end. John is writing this years later. He's looking back and he's the narrator of the story. And he's saying, I, I didn't know this then, but I do now that he was going to die. He was going to go back to his heavenly father. And he had loved us and he loved us to the end. You know, if, if I have something bad about to happen to me, okay? If I know I'm going to have surgery or, or the, you know, that, that's, I'm going to have a meeting with someone and I don't want to have this meeting with someone and I'm just all taxed and vexed and I'm not sure how it's going to go and maybe I'm going to be attacked and maybe I'm going to be, you know, lied about. And, it, you know, if I have something big and bad in my life, do you know who I'm not thinking about? I'm not thinking about you. <laughs> I'm thinking about me and my problem. And, and it's amazing here. Jesus is not thinking about himself. I mean, I would be like, all right, guys, quit your arguing and bickering. Who will be the greatest? Are you kidding me? I am going to die. And no, that's not a parable. Like literally. And, and there... It, Will you just shape up? Would you just, for one moment, right? You feel like you're talking to your kids. Well, that's not what he did. What did he do? The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So, I mean, I mean the devil's in the room or close to it. What do you do with the Judas who's about to betray you? How do you respond to someone like that? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. All things under his power so he could do anything. You know what I would do? I'd go and give Judas the worst case of the shingles and boils. <laughs> you know, so maybe, I, I, maybe it's the Father's will that I not stop him from doing this and it's been prophesied and... You know, and he's the one and he's irredeemable, but man, I'm not going to go down, you know, easy. I'm going to show him or do, but that's, that's not what he does, is it? So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Here's the incredible thing. Jesus knew the truth about them. And he loved them anyway. And Jesus knows the truth about you. And he's stuck around anyway. If, if we can remember that. Because what does that mean about how we should live toward others? And you need to really internalize this. He knows, like really, he really knows everything you've ever done, everything you've been ashamed of, and then all the things you haven't even done yet. Some of the worst crimes of these disciples against Jesus, they haven't even happened yet, but he knew. 
And he still loved them and he still loves you and serves you and lived for you. And if we want to follow Jesus, following Jesus means being like him, imitating him, doing what he would do. And we need to do that as well. This is such, those verses about washing the feet, they are so weird. It's disorienting, right? It's like the exact opposite of what you would think. I would think he would, he would confront his disciples. They deserve that. But instead, he serves and loves them in such a humbling way. And, and so, it's so disorienting. Many times we try to like um, kind of over-spiritualize it. Well, that was normal back in that day. No, it wasn't. Most of the time, nobody washed anybody's feet because there wasn't anyone low enough as a slave to do it. Only the lowest of the low would do that. And so for Jesus to do that, it was totally disorienting. In fact, Peter, after, you know, Jesus starts going around, he gets to Peter and Peter's like, you will never wash my feet. This is not happening. This is not the way it is. Jesus, you are upside down. You have it backwards, Jesus. This is not something you're supposed to be doing. Cut it out. I don't understand. There was a study done back in 1900 by a man, George Stratton, published three papers on his experiments with upside-down glasses. Really strange things. So when you wear upside-down glasses, and he made it so that he couldn't see anything out the sides, peripherally, and, and the first day... Okay, so that means... Things that are up here are actually down there. Things that are left are actually on the right. So everything is backwards and flip-flopped. And so he, he wore these all day. The first day, he was nauseous. He almost threw up and he couldn't function. Right? He couldn't even walk with his eyes open. The second day, he was able to function a little bit and he wasn't nauseous, but it, he had to concentrate, right? Like, so it looks like it's over there. So I need to go like this. You know, and, and, but by the sixth day, it was normal. And, and he functioned like, like he didn't even have to think about it. And he just went about his, his life. His brain had rewired itself to figure out up is down, left is right. And, and away he went with his life. And so then after a week, he took the glasses off. And guess what happened? He was nauseous. He almost threw up. He couldn't function. Why? Because for the first time in a while, he saw the world as it really was. He saw reality for the first time in a long time, and it was disorienting. And up seemed down, and down seemed up, and left seemed... And so the second day, he had to concentrate. Like, no, down is really down. Left is really left. And then by the sixth day, by the seventh day, his brain had readjusted and he, and he could understand the world as it really was supposed to be. This is, is what we are spiritually. Spiritually, and I've said this so many times and, and I've gotten it backwards and wrong. I've said, you know, Jesus came and he flipped the world upside down. 
Like he just took what, what we thought was important and, and, and it wasn't important and he thinks what we don't think is important. He made it important. He just flips the world upside down. He didn't. He flips the world right side up. It's us that are upside down. It's, it's us that don't understand. You know, if, if you were to have a conversation with God and say, you know, God, uh, you think of power. Why do we think different people have power? and authority. Well, of course, it's to order other people around and have the weak serve because what, what other? And God's like, no, why? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. The reason I give someone power, isn't it obvious? It's to serve those who don't have power. And the reason I give wealth is to give and provide for those who don't have wealth. And, the reason, and, and, and you're so, we're so backwards in the way we think, so that when we see Jesus do this, it's disorienting. It's like, it, it doesn't make any sense. And when he says, love your enemies, Jesus is kind of like, why else would I give you an enemy? It's so you can love him. So you can show the world what love actually is because they don't know. And, and it's so upside down to us, but it's actually the right, the right way. And so I thought of how, how can I demonstrate, how can I help us drive home this, this principle that Jesus is trying to teach that we need to serve others, even our enemies like Judas. How can I illustrate that? And I thought there's no better way for me to actually illustrate that and help us remember that than to do exactly what Jesus did and to wash someone's feet. So I asked Jeremy, it's going to make some of you nervous. Like, I asked Jeremy to come and um, for me to do this with him. And as he comes, I want to talk about, this is one of the things we are so, we are so backwards in this world that we even don't understand what humility is. We, we confuse humility with humiliation. And they have nothing in common. They're almost opposites. Okay, because humiliation is not intentional. You, you don't set out. Nobody woke up this morning and said, man, I want to do something really humiliating to myself. Right? No. But humility, on the other hand, is a good thing. And it has to be intentional. You don't fall into humility. You have to actively seek it and, and focus on other people. That's what humility is, is putting others above yourself. Another difference between humiliation and humility is humiliation always happens publicly. It's always public. So if I were to be at a store or whatever I'm unfamiliar with, and then I walk into the, into the ladies' restroom by accident, like I meant to walk into the men's and I walk into the ladies, and no one is in there, I'm like, whew. And then I turn around and walk out. And if nobody saw me go in and nobody saw me come out, I am not humiliated, right? Because nobody saw it. I'm like, that was a close one. Whew. Right? But if I go in and nobody's in there, I'm like, oh, phew. And then I turn around and on my way out, there's a lady coming in. Oh, right? That's humiliation, right? Because I did something wrong. I, I broke a social norm and, and, and I did it publicly so that others could see it. Humility is the opposite. 
Humility isn't about the public at all. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think. That doesn't make me more or less humble, what you think or see me do. It's internal. Then another way it's different is, of course, humiliation is to be avoided, whereas humility is to be pursued. And then humiliation is painful, but humility is peaceful. If you're proud, you will, you will struggle to have peace because you're always fighting and clawing to have people give you the respect you deserve to see how great you really are. If you're humble, you don't care. I know a humble person isn't someone who says, I'm just a worm and I'm no good. And I'm no, a humble person sees themselves as they really are. This is who I am. I'm not better than Ben. I'm not worse than Matt. I, I am who I am. And I'm not a good person, but God loves me anyway. And I, I don't need your applause. I don't need your approval because I know who I am and I know who God is and that's humility and there is peace that's there. And this is the place that Jesus wants to take us. Not a place of humiliation, but a place of humility and service toward others and a place of peace. I want to apologize for this because I know this is as awkward for you as it is for me. I did this once before. I didn't want to do it again. But uh, it's a good lesson. I love you, Jeremy. I do. I know Jeremy. He's not a random guy. He's a friend. Only a friend would let someone do this in front of others. And I hope this helps you remember to serve those in the produce department when they're jerks. <laughs> or maybe even someone at home when they're a jerk. Can you imagine Jesus doing this? I can't either. <laughs> Thanks. Serving, you know, we, the, the application of this isn't, isn't that we come next Sunday and we all wash each other's feet. We could wash each other's feet every week and completely miss the point. The point Jesus is making is, as I have served others, he says, go and do likewise. You need to, in the same way, serve others. So what does that mean and what does that look like? And he's talking about not just serving. In a little bit, we're going to celebrate communion. 
And before communion happens, before the Lord's Supper, when he breaks the bread and he gives, gives the wine, to the, the cup to his disciples, before that happens, Judas leaves. But you know what? When, when he's washing feet, Judas is there. Who is it at work in your home, in your neighborhood, in your classroom? Who is it that is... Who's the last person you'd want to do that with? And don't like, you'd have to tie them down. Don't tie them down and wash their feet. My pastor said, no, no, figure out a way. What does God want me to do to serve that annoying person who maybe hates my guts? Two things uh, to help us do that. You know, we have different... um, Different ways people grow spiritually, and so we have different ministries to help in that way. People grow spiritually through private disciplines. And so we announced this morning, we have a reading plan uh, on the Bridgewater app or on bridgewater.church Bible. You can find a reading plan because we know people grow through private disciplines of prayer, of fasting, of reading God's word. That's how you become more like Jesus, one of the ways. So we want to have an avenue for that. And, and practical teaching, what I'm doing right now, this is another way that people grow spiritually. And so every Sunday, I want to give you practical teaching and read God's Word and explain it and help you apply it in your lives because that's another way that people grow spiritually. And people grow spiritually through relationships. Most of the time when I ask someone, when and how did you grow the most spiritually? It was a person. I saw this individual, this person loved me, this person was there for me. I saw Jesus Christ through her. And, and so we have small groups we want to facilitate. And even before and after the services, I, I, I tell as many people as I can, talk to somebody. Talk to someone about the message. Talk to someone about, uh, you know, some, pray with someone. In the first service, we had a man, his father died, I think yesterday or the day before. And there's people every week and they come with burdens and, and, and can they leave without anyone ever asking, hey, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? How, how, can, I, how can I pray for you? And so we, we need to facilitate that. That's, that's what the church is about because we grow through relationships. But then there's a fourth way that people grow and that's through serving. And so we have opportunities to serve here in this church. And I see some of the Bridgewater kids' shirts on. Poor Caleb was out there in the rain in the parking lot today. A lot of the band and the guys in the sound booth and and Becca back there, they get here before 7 a.m. every Sunday morning. There's some in the nursery maybe changing a diaper as we speak. (laughs) Here's the thing. If... Not everyone, listen to me closely, not everyone needs to serve and volunteer in the church. But if serving and volunteering in the church is too much of an ask for you, if it's too uncomfortable, if it's too, you know, much of a bother, you're not following Jesus. If, you, if, if, you, if you're saying, oh, I'd have to come here a half hour early to greet 
and, or I'd have to, to be with the kids in the ministry, but that would be, be an hour of, you know, maybe not fun, okay? Maybe you shouldn't be in kids' ministry, but <laughs> it's a little bit of fun, right? But, but if you can't make a little sacrifice like that, don't kid yourself. You're not following Jesus because this is the training wheels kind of service here in the church with nice people mostly nice people. <laughs> and Jesus, he says, we, we need to serve the not nice people. We need to serve the jerks. We need to do the real acts. I, I call it the plunger principle. <laughs> right? And this is actually a used plunger, so don't, don't touch it on the other end. If you're at work and you go into the bathroom... And it's a mess, okay? It's overflowing. It's almost overflowing. There was a problem, and then someone did their problem on top of the problem. You know, what do you do? Do you go back and say, I don't know who was in there last, but you need to go and clean up your mess. Is that what you do? Do you, do you call 911? Do you say, you know, who, do we have cleaning people who are... How often do we see a problem like this and what we think is it's not my job? Was it Jesus' job to wash his disciples' feet? Yes, because he saw the world as it really is, right side up. This is your job. If you walk into a church bathroom and you see it, do you go run and find the pastor's wife? Or do you say, man, where's, where's a plunger? So I can serve others. This morning on my way in, so I park a little bit farther away so others can park closer and it's about 200 feet. So I'm walking in and there's a diaper in the middle of the parking lot, a dirty diaper. And I don't know what I would have done last week. <laughs> I may have picked it up, I may not have, but this week I thought, oh, really? <laughs> Pick it up, carry it 200 feet, throw it in the dumpster. Because that's the right side up way of living. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's, that's seeing reality as it really is. Why did God give me two legs and opposable thumbs so that this morning I could pick up a diaper and throw it in the garbage on my way in? Right? We are called to serve others. Who are you going to serve this week? How are you going to serve that person? How are you going to put this plunger principle into practice? So after he washed the disciples' feet, he transitioned to the meal. Judas left. And um, he took this bread. And, and before I even talk about this, I want to talk about who was in the room then. The people participating in the Lord's Supper were all people as fallible as they were, as broken and as selfish as they were. They were all men who wanted to follow Jesus. Is that where you're at today? Here's what Jesus wants from you. Here's what God wants from you. He wants you to recognize that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. That's why Jesus came to die for you. This is a statement of humility. I am not good enough for God. And then not only does he want you to recognize that in humility, but then he wants you to give your life to him. 
to say, I'm not going to do things my way. I have been wearing these glasses for far too long. The glasses that said, I, I, I'm in it for me. I need to do what's best for me. I need to look out for number one, and that's me, and say, from this day forward, I'm going to live for Jesus and he's first, and I'm going to follow him even when it doesn't make sense, even when it means dirty diapers and plunged toilets and feet and, and whatever else I come across, serving my enemies, forgiving those who don't deserve my forgiveness. I'm willing to be all in and follow Jesus. I want to lead us in a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer like that where, where we're saying, and I just want you to quietly, if you've never done this before, to pray this prayer to God and, and just surrender and give your life to him. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for sending Jesus to show us what a right side up world really looks like. To serve us, to love us, to forgive us. And God, I know that there are things like we talked about at the beginning that I am ashamed of, that I hope most people here never know about me. But God, I know that you can forgive those things. I can't fix them. I can't earn forgiveness, but Jesus can pay the price for me on the cross. And so I just ask that Jesus would pay for my sins. And God, out of gratitude, I just, I just give you my life. I want to follow you. I want to live like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. I want to forgive like Jesus. I want to serve like Jesus. Help me to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't gotten a cup, there are more in the back. And I just want to encourage you to just go get one now. I'm just going to explain some of this as we go. This is really just for those who, who are, have, have made that decision I just prayed about. This is for believers. And you know, Jesus, in that Last Supper, it says he took bread. And, and I looked up bread back in the Roman world. I wondered how common it was. And I, I, I found out that they ate bread for breakfast with a little bit of fruit usually. Those who were rich enough to have lunch ate bread for lunch as well. And then they also ate bread for dinner. The average Roman soldier, it said, ate about a third of a ton of bread a year. It, it, it was the staple. They had no refrigeration. They had, they had nothing like that. And so the world at that time, in that part of the world, they lived on bread. It was so common. There are two rituals that Jesus commands us to, to, to do and to observe. Two ceremonies. The one is the Lord's Supper. The other is baptism. What does baptism require? It requires water. How common is water? It is literally everywhere. There's life. There's water. And baptism pictures the death and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ coming out of the water to live a new life, a different life, a changed life, born again and, and no longer a slave to sin, but a servant of God and, and you're a new person. And I wonder if the point of this is that every time we see water, we're to be reminded of the resurrection and our baptism. And every time we eat and see bread, we're to be reminded of Jesus' death for us. The Bible says, pray continually, pray without ceasing. 
And maybe this is a tool Jesus wanted us to use to remember him, not just once a month on a Sunday morning, but every time we eat and every time we see water. Jesus broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this bread is my body, which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. It says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Drink all of it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we remember all that Jesus did on our behalf and how he lived so differently. God, help us to remember you, not just today, not just on Easter Sunday, but God, help us to remember you every day of the week, every meal, every shower, every time we wash our hands to just think about your resurrection, to think about your death, to think about all you've given for us. God, help us to be different. This community needs to see right side up living and they might not understand it and it might be threatening and they might not even like it, but God, help us to be upside down. Help us to serve, help us to love, help us to forgive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.